It's good to be with you this morning. Share a little bit about myself, how I got to be a inner city missionary. Um, I grew up in Greencastle, uh, Indiana, so it's like an hour from here. If you go on 231, you'll you'll get right through there. It's about three stoplights. And uh, I went to Brownsville Revival back in 1996, September of 96, and Steve Hill prophesied over me. I'm a 1991 Teen Challenge graduate, so he had a thing for praying for other Teen Challenge guys. And so he prophesied over me, spoke, and said that within a year I'd be in full-time ministry. And I thought, this guy's off his rocker. I'm 26 years old. I've never been to Bible college. I don't know how that's going to work. And uh, it was a year later, September of 97, that I found myself at Lafayette First Assembly Master's Commission. So I was there from 97 to 2000. And then um, uh, they had had a missionary on Sunday night come and speak, Ken Brown from Washington, D.C. And so I wasn't there. We were out doing a service. And so I got his information. We took a team of 28 students out there for a three-day missions trip, went to Baltimore, did a convoy of hope. And as we're coming back to Indiana, I heard the Lord say, you're going to work with him. I said, no, I'm not. I just seen where I was at. And, and so for several months, the Lord dealt with me. And so I, I ended up going out there visiting with him. And then June of 2000, I, I moved out there. And so I was with him for four years. I worked as a missionary in training, trained with him. And so uh, I was only supposed to be there two years. I stayed four. And so I knew that my time was up. And so as I was trying to transition, I wanted to go to Gary, Indiana. That's where I really wanted to um, plant the second urban outreach, but the doors would not open. Then I heard the Lord say, I want you to go to East St. Louis. And I said, Lord, that city is just as bad as where I've been. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll go there. And so um, you have to realize that that's a city in 1960, all American city, 80,000 people living there. Um, it started to go through the decline. Today, there's 25,000 people there. Last year, we had 35 murders in a city of 25,000. It's the highest per capita in the United States. It's the most violent city because it's, uh, you know, the numbers are so small. One out of every 794 people in that community are, will be shot or killed. One out of every nine people will have some type of violent crime committed against them. And so I, I remember my first day there, I found a bus bench. I sat on it and I said to the Lord, I'm here now. What do you want me to do? I don't have a building. I don't have any staff. I don't know anybody. And God spoke three things to me that day. He said, Jay, I want you to reach out to the addicted, the afflicted, and the hopeless. I want you to reach out to those that the churches don't want. I want you to plant churches here and raise up indigenous pastors. So as we fast forward today, we have seven buildings there. We have planted four churches there. We have 11 churches right now across the United States that we've launched. We will launch number 12 in Chicago in September. And I just have put together a list. I just have put together a list of 40 cities that really need to have an urban outreach in them. And so, you know, the thing with the Lord and I is, He'll speak to me about a city, and then I tell him to give me someone, and then apostolically, prophetically, he just like brings them to me, and then we just do it. And so, and here's the, here's the beautiful thing about our ministry. We are debt-free. We have no um, debt over our ministries. We run debt-free. We, we strongly believe in that, that the ministry should be debt-free because it's inner-city ministry. 
And so we've been able to do that. Uh, when, I, when I got to East St. Louis, I started to learn the layout of the community. And um, it really bothered me that I would see these areas where there would be uh, several young men hanging on the corners. And I knew that they were dealing drugs and they were in gangs. And so it took a little time to get it set up. But as God began to give me pastors on staff with me, um, I remember the first time that we went to the most violent corner in the city. And uh, I didn't tell my pastor, I had three pastors on staff with me at the time. And I did not tell them that we were going there because I know they'd freak out. And so, and, and we went on a Friday evening, that's when it's hopping. And so we, we get there and I pulled a van about 10 feet up and there's, you know, 10 to 15 guys hanging out there. And I shut the van off. I said, are you guys ready? And Pastor Tommy says to me, Pastor, what are you talking about? I said, we're getting out today. We're cooking out for these guys. Pastor, I grew up in this neighborhood. This is the most violent uh, corner in the city. I said, I know that, Tommy, and this is how you have to see it. Once we take this corner, the rest of them will be easy. I don't know how these men are going to respond. I don't know how they'll act. All I know is that, that we have to love them and we have to show them who Christ is. And so I learned early on the best way to a man's heart is through his belly. And that we can't um, reach out to the spiritual need until we've met the physical need. And so that was a great day. Those guys are really nice, you know. Um, they were dealing drugs. Cars would come by. They were dealing drugs right in front of us. I think, I don't know what church team was with me, but they are a little freaked out by it. But <laughs> it's just where we're at. It's what we do. And so, you know, and then there was a hotel that was across the street from our church. And it was a brothel. That's, that's what it is. There's prostitution going on over there. There are drugs going on there. That bothered me. And so... I told our pastors, we're going to go get a bunch of roses. And on a Saturday night, I want to go in there and knock on those doors. And I want to give those women flowers. I want to tell them that Jesus loves them and invite them to church in the morning. I said, because if Jesus was here, that's where he would be. He'd be right there. Friend, I want to remind you this morning that it was not dirty, rotten, stinking sinners that put him on the cross and killed him. It was church people. And so we have to guard our hearts from being religious because Jesus loves, he loves the down and out. He, he loves everybody, right? I mean, that's why we exist as a church is we're in the people business. And so it, it was neat to see our ministries, you know, build up on that, uh, on that stuff. We launched our first church in July of 06. Um, we planted our church. And then in, in um, summer of 07, um, I was given two more buildings. We bought our first two buildings in East St. Louis for $15,000. And then we bought the building next to that for 11000 Then we bought the building next to that for 7000 Now, the building that was 7000 it's a brick building. It, it used to be an old drugstore. It had sit vacant since the late 70s. So when we got in there, it looked like a time capsule. And so, you know, we, we have... Four buildings in downtown East St. Louis that is for $33,000, we have a half a block. Now, everything around us is either boarded up, burned up, or barred up. It's the most blightest part of the city, but that's where God has called us to be, to shine the light brightest in the darkest places. And so uh, in 07, we were given a 10,000 and a 4,000 square foot building, and um, we were doing outreach and this, uh, you know, we're, we're working on the buildings. We're doing outreach at the same time. This uh, a Hispanic family of eight shows up. They end up giving their lives to Christ. 
And then I'm dumbfounded, you know. I mean, what, what do I do with this family? There are no Hispanics in Washington Park. And then I heard the Lord say, I want you to plant a Spanish-speaking church in this building. I said, Lord, that makes no sense. There are no Hispanics here. And I heard him, he was very stern. This is what I want you to do. So I said, I'll, I'll do it. If you give me a church planner, do you know it took me 13 months to pray through that? Because I was waiting on the right person. You can't just send anyone to the inner city. If they don't understand the culture, they don't understand the community, they will not last very long. I mean, I, I'm like a survivor. I've outwitted, outlast, outplayed, right? 19 years now I've been doing this stuff. And so I get a phone call in the month of August, it's August of 08, so I've been praying since July of 07, and I get a call from a guy named Ricardo Valdez. He calls and says that, he, was, he said, I was giving your name and number, heard that you plant churches and that you're looking for a Hispanic pastor. I said, I am. I said, can we meet at Cracker Barrel tomorrow? He said, yes, and so I, I called one of my pastors, Shamika, and I said, hey, meet me at Cracker Barrel. I think I may have found uh, you know, uh, a couple guys that may um, launch the church out. And so when we got there, I, I, I knew we were walking around, it's 12 o'clock, it's busy, and I, I knew who Ricardo was. I see a guy waving at me. He has a suit and tie on, and he looked like a pastor. And so we sit down, we're talking, and then this other guy walks in. He's in jeans and a t-shirt. He has all these tattoos. And then he comes over to our table. Ricardo stands up. They start speaking Spanish, and then they, they sit down. So I'm processing all this. I'm trying to figure out what is going on here. And as we're eating lunch, I look at the man with the suit and tie on, and I hear the Lord say, he's not the pastor. And then I look at the guy that was kind of rough looking, and the Lord said, he's the pastor. This is the man I'm giving you. And so I took them to those buildings, I showed them the buildings, and I made a commitment that if they wanted to do it, I would commit that day that one year we would plant the church and I would work with them. They agreed to it, and so I took them back to Cracker I dropped them off, I said to Shamika, which one is the pastor? She said, well, while we're eating lunch, God spoke to me and said it wasn't the man in the suit and tie, that it was the man with all the tattoos. I said, you heard from God too. Good. That's why I brought her. Because she moves into prophetic, and I knew that she would be able to help me sort this thing out. And so I just, you know, Ricardo phased out. Ramon stayed. And, and, and I knew that he was the guy that God really wanted to focus on. So I just took a chance, you know, and just brought him on with me. And five months into it, Ramon says to me, Pastor, I have to confess something to you. I said, what is it? He said, I am a convicted felon. By the time I was 39 years old, I spent half my life in prison. He said, I ran, you know, I, I was in a gang, and, I, and, and so I ran with the, the, the gangs, and, you know, my last stint, 16 years. And he said, uh, they, I was so violent that they would move me from prison to prison around the United States. And so I, I did a lot of my time in solitary confinement, and in 2000, some, and he'd been locked up since 1985, in 2000, someone slid a Bible underneath my door. I read it and gave my life to Jesus. And then in 2002, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in a wreck yard, and then they released me. I was in Missouri, so I moved back down to Las Cruces, New Mexico. I plugged into an Assembly God church, and for five years, every weekend, I was going to Juarez doing street ministry, and that was when Juarez was the most violent city in the world. And I was doing it every weekend for five years. And then God spoke to me and said to move up to the East St. Louis area and to plant a church. 
He said, I've been here for a year trying to figure this out. He even drove by that building and said, that would make a great Spanish-speaking church. And then God put us together. He's been with me 10 years now. He planned a second church in August. He said, where are you getting at with this? If I would have been like most church people and said, no way, I'm not giving this guy a chance. He does not look like he's a church person. Then I would have lost out. Is that all the guys, I got 20 some guys that work with me. He's the guy I trust the most. I trust him with my life. I trust him. I love that man. I love his family. We're very close. I would have missed out. Friend, don't get caught up and consumed with what people look like. It's not our job. It's not our job to judge people. It's our job to love people. God's not called us to occupy the building until he comes. We're not called to warm the pew. God has called us to fill the pew. And if you're a believer in Christ this morning, then you are commissioned, you are orchestrated, you are ordained of the Holy Spirit to be a missionary where you work and where you live. You do not have an exemption card. You are called to do ministry. There are ministries in the birth canal right now that are waiting to be birthed in the body of believers in this building this morning, and God is waiting on some of you to step up and step out. You see, you have to understand something about God. He is a gentleman. He will never force his plan. He will never force his will. He will never force his purpose on your life. You have to invite him. And if you'll ask him, then he'll do it. He'll use you. The Spirit of God is looking in the United States in this day and hour. He is looking for churches that will be sold out to him, that will give him all access. You see, the Assemblies of God is changing in our nation. And there are two things we cannot change. That is the love for missions, and that is our Pentecostal heritage of operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in this day and hour, people want the authentic gospel. They want, they want something that's real. And we're hope dealers. God's called us to, to initiate his work in, in the community, to, to activate the gospel outside the walls of the church. 67% of the people that live in, in this area are unchurched. They don't attend church anywhere. And God is calling you and he's calling me to be an example, to commit to the cause of Christ no matter what. You see, I tell people all the time, the assemblies has labeled me as a U.S. missionary, but I'm really not a U.S. missionary. I'm a foreign missionary. I was not raised in the inner city. I was raised in Green Dingle, Indiana. <laughs> There's nothing exciting there. The only thing exciting is that John Dillinger robbed the bank there in 1933 and took out his biggest uh, uh, money, $76,000. Other than that, there's not a whole lot that goes on in Greencastle. It, it was, it, it's been a beautiful thing to see, see the Lord work on uh, planting that church there. And, and Ramon's already got men taking credentials. We just had a, uh, one of the men go through Global University, graduated Global University two weeks ago. So we're ra he's raising up pastors from that church. 
So once we planted that church, then I heard the Lord say, I want you to reach the Bosnians. And I said, I don't understand, Lord. There are no Bosnians in Washington Park or East St. Louis. What, what do you mean the Bosnians? He said, they're over the river. They're in St. Louis. And so I researched and what I found out is St. Louis has the largest Bosnian population outside of Bosnia. There's 70,000 Bosnians. 90% of them are Muslim. They've been here for like 15 years and nobody's been reaching them. That bothered me. So I said, okay, God, I will reach the Bosnians if you give me someone to plant the church. I prayed from February till October and, and asked God for a person. Then I get a phone call from a guy named Andrew Austin from Janesville, Wisconsin. He said, I was given your name and number and was told that you plant churches. And he said, my wife and I applied to be world missionaries of Bosnia and we were turned down. We were told that we didn't have enough pastoral experience. So as we began to research the Bosnian communities in America, he said there are about 10 of them. We found out that St. Louis has the largest one and we feel called to reach them. I said, congratulations, Andrew. You are our church planner. Andrew says, wait a minute, you don't even know me. We've never met, how can you say that? I said, Andrew, do not overthink this. And that's what we do as believers. God's dealing with you to get involved in the church and start ministry and plug in and you wanna pray about it. What's there to pray about? Just do it. I said, Andrew, if you decide that you're not gonna do it, you'll be out of God's will and he'll find someone else. He wants you to do it. And he agreed to it. He got his budget raised and where I'm at in East St. Louis, I can buy buildings all day long for $10,000, $20,000. I can buy a house for $600 because nobody wants to buy houses there anymore. But where Andrew's at, buildings are $100,000 to $300,000. And so Andrew's like, what, what do we do? How do we get a building? I said, well, Andrew, at this point, if God doesn't show up and show out, we're in trouble. There's nothing we can do. He said, what do we do? I said, God knows the need, so he needs to speak to someone or, uh, or somebody or some people, and they need to write checks out and buy a building. And so it was really neat, because in that time frame, God had opened two doors for, to meet, for me to meet with two different Christian companies or multi-billion dollar companies. I've been in the, the homes of these CEOs, and I didn't say anything. I didn't ask them for money. I didn't talk about money, but God spoke to their hearts. Both of them wrote checks for $50,000 each, and they bought us a building for $100,000 cash. That building appraises for $120,000 today. You see... It's not my ministry. I was good at church number two. I was good when we launched Urban Outreach East St. Louis. I said, I'm good, God. And he said, no, you got to plant more. And so it was neat to see God do the, the work in, in, in the Bosnians. And then, then the Lord says to me, Jay, I want you to plant a church in Denver. And I said, oh, Lord, you're not going to make me move there, are you? Because it's cold and they get a lot of snow. And I've dug my roots deep. I've dug my roots deep here, and I'm I'm good. I like it here. It took a couple of years to get adjusted to it, but I, I like it. He said, "No, I'm not going to make you move there." But when you plant that church, it needs to be in the most violent part of the city. So, as a research, I found out that's the Five Points neighborhood. And so, I met a guy named Isaac Oliveras. We're having lunch, and he and so I said to him, "I said, what's God calling you to do? What's your next step?" And he said, well, God's speaking to my wife and I to plant a church in Denver. 
I said, oh, is that right? I said, God's been speaking to me for several months about planting a church. You should pray about it. And he prayed about it. He agreed with it. And so he said, I'll do it. And so he says, how, how do we start planting a church in Denver? I said, well, you need to start prayer walking in the neighborhood or you can drive and you need to figure out what the needs are. And then you need to build a ministry around that. And then that will help you to create a church. So he began to prayer walk the neighborhood. And as he was prayer walking the neighborhood, he came across this woman named Geraldine. And Geraldine, she's a crack addict, she's a prostitute, and she's pregnant. And so Isaac says to her, do you mind if I pray for your baby? She said, I don't care. And so he laid hands on her stomach and he prayed for her baby. For several months when he would see her, he would just automatically pray for her baby. He was building a relationship with her. Then she opened up to him and said, Isaac, do you know that I've had four other babies and they were never born in the hospital? Matter of fact, I pulled two babies out of myself while I was getting high in a crack house. Now the fifth baby was born in the hospital and she had drugs and alcohol in her system. So the hospital says, you can't take this baby home. Do you have any family? Do you have any friends? Do you know somebody that would take your baby? Because if not, we're going to have to put your baby through the system. She said, I can't think of anyone. And then she said, wait a minute, my pastor, they'll take the baby. And 11 days after that baby girl was born, Isaac and Jamie took her home. A year later, they adopted that baby. Where are you getting at with this? Listen, God's not concerned. He's not consumed with our talents, our abilities, our gifts, and all that stuff. As much as he's concerned and consumed about our commitment to Christ, are we committed to the, Christ, to the cause of Christ this morning? Are we committed to reach out to the people outside the walls of this building that do not know Jesus? Are we committed to those that are going to crack hell wide open? Are we willing to stand at the gates of hell with our arms extended out and, and rescue people that are going there? Are we committed? Because time is short. Jesus is coming soon. We must be committed to the cause of Christ because people are slipping there daily. Listen, churches are like, well, we don't want you preaching about hell because that offends people. But I'm telling you this morning, there are a bunch of people in hell that wish somebody would have told them. It's too late. Eternity's forever. We must make an impact. We must make a difference while it's still daylight because nighttime is coming. See, our Denver church is different in that we do what we call Thursday night community dinner church. And what that is, is we spend about $40,000 a year. Um, we, we get catering companies to, to give us substantial discounts and we feed the homeless. There are 4,000 homeless people live in Denver. And so every Thursday night, we haven't missed a Thursday night in over five years. We are consistent. We open up our buildings and people come in and we feed them. We love on them to the least of these. They wait in line to get in our buildings. And then it's a hodgepodge of people. You got the prostitute, you got the gang members, you got the drug addict, you got the al alcoholic. Then you have people who just don't have any issues that, that you know of. You know, they were, good, they were um, inside of them and they just all blend together. And we just love them. You see, I learned early on, we have to love Jesus in people and just love the hell out of them. Because people live hellish lives. 
Listen, you and I are the feet of Jesus. It's our job. We're called to do this. It's not just the pastor's job and the staff pastors. It's our job. It's our civic, it's our civic duty as believers to be missionaries where we work and where we live. We're getting ready to start a second dinner site next year in Denver. We're also praying about Albuquerque, New Mexico. Isaac and I have already been there. We've already looked at it. We already know where we want to plant that. It's in the war zone. It's the southeast corner of the city. It's the most violent part. That's where we want to be. And so we're just waiting on God to open up the doors that, that we can get there. I have um, two more stories. Um, I, I went to Teen Challenge in Cleveland, Ohio. And so for, you know, that was in 91, so 27 years ago. So anytime I'm in the Cleveland area, it's just automatic habit when I get off the plane, get my rental car to make a beeline to Teen Challenge, just so I can see that place and remember who I was when I went there and who I am today. And so on this particular day, a few years ago, I'm in my car, I'm driving down the interstate and it wise out two different directions. And the interstate I need to be on, there are two Ohio State troopers have it blocked. So now it's forced me to go a different route. And I'm processing stuff really fast because I already know what's on East Side Cleveland. Do you know what's on East Side Cleveland? The ghetto. That's the hood. That's the flats. That's the most violent part of the city. And I really want to avoid it. To be honest with you, I don't even like driving through big cities because when I drive through them, God tells me to plant a church. <laughs> so I just figure if I don't see it, you know, don't hear it, he won't say nothing. Right? Next. And so I, I thought I went far enough down on all those little one-way streets. I mean, I went way down that highway. And all those little one-way streets, they kicked me smack dab on the east side of Cleveland. I am in the hood. Well, how do you know you're in the hood? Because I'm seeing all the burned-out houses. Now I'm starting to see all the boarded-up buildings. Now I'm seeing the blocks and blocks and blocks of housing projects. Now I'm starting to see the men on the corners holding up the walls. And then it dawned on me, God, you set me up. <laughs> I know that you put me here. I'm already here now. Okay, I'm gonna take the time to drive around. I spent an hour and a half driving around the east side of Cleveland. I wore contacts and I began to weep. I, I, I began to sob and I, I literally couldn't see straight. I had to pull my car over and I said to the Lord, I said, why am I crying like this? And I heard him saying that still small voice because Jay, this is how I feel every day. I want you to plant a church in this neighborhood. I said, okay, God, I will if you give me church planters. Here's what's really cool. He gave me Bob and Judy Willard do you know they used to pastor in Crawfordsville, Indiana? They're there now, nationally appointed. They, they, um, they didn't wait till God gave them a building to start ministry. They moved into the neighborhood. They started doing ministry. And what happened was it forced them to plant a church in their house. Could you imagine on Thursday nights, 40 to 60 people in your house? Then they moved it to Sunday mornings, and they're a very educational family, so they started an after-school tutoring program. They would have 20-some kids in their house Monday through Friday after school, tutoring them. And then the most amazing thing happened. The 1,600-square-foot house next door came up for sale, and the bank sold them that house for $500. And so they moved the, the house church to the house next door, and they'd been there for a while, and February of last year, the same bank owned a different building. And it's a, it's a tavern. It's got an attached room to it, big room, and it has a two-bedroom apartment to it. And so the bank said, look, we, we, we just need to get rid of the building. We'll let you have it for $500. 
So they bought the building. And then in August, the bank reissued them a check for $500. So they just got the building for free. (laughs) Do you know what the name of the church is going to be? The tabernacle. That's what they're going to call it, the tabernacle. Men were getting drunk in the flesh for years. Now they're going to get drunk in the Holy Ghost. We're in Phoenix, Arizona. Did you know there are 22,000 homeless people in Phoenix? The best way I could even describe it, my mind could even comprehend it, would be to go to Los Angeles and drive down Skid Row. And you just see the thousands of people are homeless. Well, in Denver, downtown, there's a, a two-block radius and there's homeless shelters there. So at any given time, there's two to 4,000 homeless people waiting to get into the shelters. And then you have all the camps. The homeless camps are like they're all around that area. And so when James Turner, he, he was a gentleman that eight years ago, I spoke at his church. And then... Um, that, that after the service, I'm at the gas station getting gas, and he, he comes to my pump and starts talking to me. I was at the service tonight, and then the Holy Ghost came over me. I prophesied to him and told him that God was going to use him and that he'd be doing ministry with me one day, that he was called to do inner city ministry. So he quits his job at Batesville Casket Company, been there 20 years, went to Cincinnati, plugged in, started doing inner city ministry there. He was there for six years, and then he calls me and says, it's time for me to start working with you. Where do you want me to go? I said, well, it's not where I want you to go. You need to ask God and he'll tell you. And he said, God's, I think God's telling me to go to Phoenix. I said, you got to do it then. And so he moved there in October, right? And then God gave, God gave him a building. And so it was an old biker bar. It's three blocks from the largest shelters in the city. I said, why did you pick that? He said, it was the closest thing I could find to where the homeless are. They live on that property. There's a house there. It has a fence around it, barbed wire, wire all around. It looks like a prison compound. And he's, that's where they live. They do services three times a week already. He just got appointed as a missionary in September of last year. He's already 90% of his budget raised. He's only $500 to go, and he's going to be fully funded. And he's from Indiana. He's doing it. We're making a difference. We're in New Orleans. The Louisiana District Assemblies, God called me and said, would you be willing to come down and look at New Orleans? I said, sure. I get down there, I look at it, I was like, man, this, is, this city is bad. It is, I mean, this, wow. I mean, I told you I'm not scared, but I get concerned, so I lock my doors so I'm down there on my car. I've had drug dealers jump in my car with me. But I start preaching, and they get out as quick as they jump in. So I said, okay, Lord, I think you want me to plant church there. Send me somebody, and then they give me Josh Holder. Josh Holder's down there. They, they're doing ministry underneath the bridges. There are like tent communities underneath I, Interstate I-10, and her family's living in tents down there. It, it's heartbreaking to see that. We're in America. And there, there, there he is. He's down there. They just did all these home-cooked meals yesterday. Home-cooked meals, took it down. They loved those homeless like Jesus would. Because that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to love people where they're at. So here's where we're at. We're in Washington, D.C. We're in Staten Island, New York City. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. We're in East St. Louis, Washington Park, Cottage Hills, Illinois. We're in St. Louis, Missouri. We're in Denver, Colorado, Phoenix, Arizona, New Orleans. We'll be in September um, 
uh, we'll be in Chicago in September, and then I have uh, listed 40 more cities that these are cities that, that need an urban outreach. Uh, Gary, Indiana, Camden, New Jersey, South Compton, California, Oakland, California. And I just threw in Salt Lake City because those Mormons need, they need us. We need to do something there. And so I just want to say to you this morning, um, Pastor already told me you guys, have, you guys have already decided to pick us up for support. And so I, I just want to say thank you because of your monthly missions giving and your generosity. That's what helps us to continue to do debt-free and continue to expand the inner cities here in America. And I just want to say God bless you.